Welcome to tape number two of Truth, Victory Over Error, or the True Principles of the Christian Religion by David Dixon. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. And now to our reading of Truth, Victory Over Error by David Dixon, which we pray you find to be a great blessing and which we hope draws you near to the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing our reading of Truth's Victory Over Error, Chapter 1, The Holy Scriptures, Question Number 7. Doth the authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, depend upon the testimony of any man or church? No. 2 Peter 1, 19 and 21, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 1 Thessalonians 1, 13. Well then, do not the popish writers err who maintain the authority of the scriptures to depend upon the testimony of the church as to us? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the word is to be received by us, not as the word of man, but as the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 Second, because the doctrine of Christ to be received by believers dependeth not on man's testimony. John 5.34 Third, because God only is true and infallible, and all men are liars. Romans 3, verse 4, Hebrews 6, 18. He is of incomprehensible wisdom, Psalm 147, verse 5, of great goodness, Exodus 18, verse 7, Romans 9, 12, and Psalm 34, verse 8, of absolute power and dominion, Genesis 17, verse 1, and Psalm 50 verses 1 and 2 of infallible truth who can neither deceive or be deceived Romans 3 4 Titus 1 2 Hebrews 6 18 therefore he ought to be credited in all his narrations promises threatenings and prophecies and obeyed in all his commands only because he himself hath said so question number 8 is the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and love, either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deducted from it? Yes. 2 Timothy 3.15, Galatians 1, 8 and 9, 2 Thessalonians 2.2 2. Well then, do not the popish church err who maintain the scriptures to be an imperfect rule and therefore to stand in need of a supply of unwritten traditions? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because all scripture is given that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. 
Second, because the psalmist says expressly, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. Third, because nothing is to be added to the word of God. Deuteronomy 4.2 and Proverbs 30, verse 6. Therefore, the scriptures must be complete and a perfect rule of faith and not an imperfect rule but or but partly a rule as they teach. Question 9. Is it warrantable to argue in articles or matters of faith by consequence natively deduced from scripture? Yes. Well then, do not the Socinians, Quakers, Anabaptists, and Arminians err who maintain that all matters of faith are set down expressly and in so many words of Scripture that no matters of faith, at least necessary to salvation, can be built upon consequence drawn from the Scriptures? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because Christ himself proves that necessary point of faith, the resurrection of the dead, from Scriptures by a consequence. Matthew 22, 29, 31, 32. To be anyone's God, there is to give one eternal life. Psalm 33, 12. And Psalm 144, verse 15. Whence followeth that those patriarchs live still with God in respect of their souls, which these Sadducees also denied. Acts 23, verse 8. And should also rise in respect of their bodies and live eternally seeing he is called a God, not of one part of them only, but of their whole persons. And in the same chapter, verse 43 and 45, Christ proves his deity by consequence from Scripture against the Pharisees. Second, so doth Apollos, Acts 18.28, and Paul, Acts 19.22, prove from the Old Testament Jesus to be the Christ, but it is not expressly said in the Old Testament that he is the Christ. Is not that which necessarily follows from Scripture contained in it implicitly and implicitly revealed by God infallibly true? Question 10. Is the inward illumination of the Spirit of God necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the world? Yes. John 6.45, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Well then, do not the Socinians and Arminians err who maintain that men without revelation of the Spirit are able to understand the Scriptures for their salvation? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the disciples of Christ were not able to understand the Scriptures before he opened their eyes. Luke 24:45. Second, because the Jews to this day cannot understand the Scriptures of the Old Testament until the veil by the Spirit of God be taken away. 2 Corinthians 3, 14, 15, 16, and 18. Third, because the psalmist David seeking, seeketh from God the opening of his eyes that he may behold wondrous things out of his law. Psalm 119, verse 18. Question 11. Are all these things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation so clearly propounded and open in some place of scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them for their salvation? Yes. Psalm 119 verse 105 and 130. Well then, do not the papists err who maintain that things necessary to salvation 
are obscurely and darkly set down in Scripture and that without the help of unwritten traditions and the infallible expounding of the Church, the Scriptures cannot be understood? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. Psalm 119, verse 105. Second, because the Scripture is a light which shineth in a dark place. 2 Peter 1.19 Third, because the scripture enlighteneth the eyes and maketh the simple wise. Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8 Question 12 Hath not the Lord by his singular providence and care kept pure in all ages the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek? Yes. Matthew 5.18 Well then, do not the papists err who maintain the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek which are the fountains to be corrupted, and that their common Latin version is authentic? Yes. By what reason are they confuted? First, because Christ says, Till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Matthew 5.18 Second, because there can be no urgent necessity shown why the fountains are corrupted. Third, if any such corruption had been in the scripture, Christ and his apostles and the Orthodox Fathers had declared so much. Fourth, because they never have nor can make out any manifest corruptions in the fountains, albeit most manifest and undeniable demonstrations are given of the corruptions of their Latin version, which they make authentic. Question 13. Are the original tongues vis-a-vis the Hebrew and the Greek to be translated in the vulgar language of every nation into which they come? Yes. Are we commanded in the fear of God to read and search the scriptures? Yes. Psalm, or excuse me, John 5:39, 1 Corinthians 14, 6, 9, 11, 12, 14, and 24, 27, and 28. Well then, do not the papists err who maintain there is no necessity of translating the original tongues, the Hebrew and the Greek, into the vulgar languages of every nation unto which they come, but rather a very great hazard and danger of errors and heresies? Yes. Do not likewise the same papists err who forbid the reading of the scriptures in the vulgar tongues? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the scriptures were given long since to the Jews in their own vulgar language that they might be read publicly and privately by all. Deuteronomy 31, 10, 11, and 12. Deuteronomy 11, 18, 19, and 20. Second, because the New Testament was written in the Greek language which at that time was most generally known to all nations. Third, because Christ bids all promiscuously search the scriptures. John 5, 39. Fourth, because the prophets and apostles preached their doctrines to the people and nations in their known languages. Jeremiah 46, verses 15 and 16, Acts 2, 6. Fifth, because immediately after the apostles' times, many translations were extant. Sixth, because all things must be done in the congregation unto edifying. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. But an unknown tongue doth not edify. 7. Because all are commanded to try the spirits. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 1 Corinthians 10.15 8. Because the scriptures teach the way of life. Proverbs 2.9 Luke 
9.19 Acts 24.14 Ninth, because the scripture set forth the duty of every man in his place and estate of his life Deuteronomy 17, 8, 19, and 20 John, Joshua 1, 8 Psalm 119.24 Chronicles 23.11 Tenth, because they are the grounds of faith Romans 4.20 Chronicles 20.20 20. Eleventh, because they are the epistle of God sent to his church Hosea 8.12 Revelation 2.1 8 and 12. 12. Because they are his testament, wherein we may find what legacies he hath bequeathed unto us. 2 Corinthians 3, 14 and 16. Hebrews 10, 16. John 14, 16. 13. Because they are the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17. 14. Because being embraced and known, they make a man happy. Psalm 119, 97 and 98, Luke 10, 42, Luke 16, 29, Psalm 1, 2, Revelation 1, 3. Fifteenth, because when the scriptures are neglected or contemned, they plunge men into all misery. Hebrews 2, 3 and Matthew 22, 20 and Psalm 50, verse 16. Question 14. When there is a question about the true meaning and full sense of any scripture, must it be known and searched by other places which speak more clearly? Yes. Second Peter 21, Acts 15, 15 and 16. Well then, do not the papists err who maintain the scriptures not to be a sufficient interpreter of itself and that the sense of it cannot be gathered infallibly when the text is doubtful from other places which speak more clearly? but only from the magisterial traditions and unwritten opinions of the Church of Rome? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the noble Bereans compared Scripture with Scripture for finding out the true and sure sense of it, Acts 17.11. Second, because the Apostle Paul did the same, Acts 28, verse 23. Third, because the same was done by the council of the apostles and elders, Acts 15, verse 15, 16, and 17. Question 15. Is the Holy Spirit speaking in the scripture the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are determined and all the decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits to be examined and in whose sentence we are to rest? Yes. Matthew 22, 29, and 31. Ephesians 2.20, Acts 23, verse 25. Well then, do not the papists err who maintain that the Church of Rome and the Pope are the supreme judges of all controversies of faith, and that his decrees and determinations are to be believed without examination and implicitly to believe by all believers? Yes. Do not likewise the Quakers err who maintain that the light within which teaches the elect is the only judge of all controversies of faith? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because God commands all men to go to the law and to the testimony in doubtful matters, Isaiah 8, verse 20. Second, because all doubts in religion are to be examined by the rule of the word, Acts 17:11 and Galatians 6:16. Third, because Christ and his apostles did always dispute and reason from the scriptures against the enemies of the truth. Matthew 22:31 and Galatians 
forth because the church of God is founded on the writings of the prophets and apostles. Ephesians 2.20 Fifth, because we are commanded to prove all things and to try the spirits. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 1 John 4.1 and verse 6 Chapter 2 Of God and of the Holy Trinity Question 1 Is there but one only the true and living God? Yes. Deuteronomy 6.4 and 1 Corinthians 8.4 and 6 1 Thessalonians 1.7 Well then, do not the tritheia and that's T-R-I-T-H-E-T-I-A-E err who maintain three gods numerically distinct the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Yes. Do not likewise the Manichaeans err, who maintain that there are two gods, being diverse and opposite as to kind, vis-a-vis, one good, the author and cause of all good things, and of things immaterial, being the God of the New Testament, the other evil, vis-a-vis, the devil, the author and cause of all evil things, and of things material, being the God of the Old Testament? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because though there be a plurality of persons mentioned in Scripture, yet it is ever God as one, as is evident from the first chapter of the Revelation and the last. For if that one God have in himself all perfections, there can be no perfection beside him, and so no God but this one true God. For if there were, he should not be God, because not infinite in perfection. And if God be infinite in perfection, then surely there cannot be multiplicity of God's little g, seeing that which is infinite in that respect cannot, cannot be multiplied. Second, it is evident from Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, where the Lord speaketh of himself, I, even I, am he, and there is no God without me. Third, because God is omnipotent and so cannot be hindered by any other in his working. Revelation 15, verse 3. Fourth, it is evident from Christ's words to the young man of the gospel, there is none good but one, that is God. Fifth, from the words of Hannah in her song, for there is none beside thee, O Lord, and neither is there any rock beside our God. Sixth, from the testimony of the apostle, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, to us, says he, there is but one God. Seventh, from what Christ said to one of the scribes vis-a-vis the Lord our God is one Mark 7 verse 29 8 because God is a most absolute and most perfect being and so beyond all other things one John 10 29 Psalm 145 verse 3 and 147 verse 5 Ninth, because this one blessed God is most absolutely sufficient and furnished with infinite power and wisdom for the production conversation and ruling all things in heaven and earth. Tenth, because he is of all things without himself the first and supreme cause from which all the creatures, visible or invisible, have their rise and beginning. Eleventh, it is evident, lastly, from the testimonies of the most wise heathens who have been necessitated to acknowledge but one God only. Question two, is God infinite in being and perfection? Yes, Job 11, 7, 8, and 9, and Job 26, verse 14. 
Well then, do not the Vorstians, that's V-O-R-S-T-I-A-N-S, Sicinians and Anthropomorphitans err, and Anthropomorphitans is spelled A-N-T-H-R-O-P-O-M-O-R-P-H-I-T-A-N-S, err, who maintain that God is finite in being and perfection? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because God hath a being from himself, and all things have their dependence from him, and therefore there can be nothing by which he can be limited. Romans 10:36. Second, because God is everywhere present in heaven and beyond the heavens. Jeremiah 33, verse 24, and Isaiah 46, verse 1. Third, because the scriptures affirm that the perfection of God is the highest, that the perfection of God is the highest, is immeasurable, unchangeable, and infinitely great beyond all creatures. John 11, 7, 8, and 9. Psalm 145, verse 3, and Job 26, verse 14. Question 3. Is the only living and true God a most pure spirit, invisible, without a body and parts? Yes. John 4:24, 1 Timothy 1:17, Deuteronomy 4:15 and 16, Luke 24 verse 39. Well then, do not the Vorstians, Anthropomorphitans, and Sicinians err who maintain God to have a body and endowed with parts and an outward shape and form? Yes. By what reason are they confuted? First, because God is the Father of spirits, Hebrews 12:9. Second, because God is invisible, 1 Timothy 1:17. Third, because God is like to no bodily thing, nor can he be represented by any image or corporal likeness, Isaiah 40, verse 18, Acts 17:29. Question 4. Are there in the unity of the Godhead three persons of one substance, power, and eternity? Yes. 1 John 5, 7, Matthew 3, 16 and 17, Matthew 28, 19, and 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Well then, do not the Arians and Socinians err, and others who deny the Godhead of the Son and the Holy Ghost? Yes. Do no... Do not likewise the Tritheia err who deny the unity of the divine essence? Yes. Thirdly, do not the Sabellians err, and that's S-A-B-E-L-L-I-A-N-S, err, who deny the real distinction of the persons? Yes. And lastly, do not the Quakers err who maintain there are no persons in the Godhead? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, from the places of scripture already cited, second, from the apostolical benediction in which the three persons of the Godhead are called upon expressly, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Third, from 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 5, and 6, where the three persons are named Spirit, Lord, and God, and from John 15, 26, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. Fourth, because there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 1 John 5, 7. These three must either be three persons or three gods, little g. 
This last is the height of impossibility, therefore they must be three persons. Here they are put to silence and have nothing to reply. Such is the strength and power of truth which is able to stop the mouths of the greatest rebels against religion and reason. But there is good ground for the word person, Hebrews 1.3, where Christ is said to be the express image or impression of the Father's person. Because the person of the Son perfectly represents the person of the Father, as an impression doth the seal. Wherefore he is also called the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. The Greek word is hypostasis, H-Y-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S, substance or person, whereby is understood the person of the Father is distinct from the Son and subsisting of himself and in himself and is as the original of the person of the Son by an internal and ineffable generation that there are three persons in the Godhead it is farther evident first from all the epistles written to the seven churches of Asia for as may be gathered from Revelation 1.1 it is the Father that sends it is the Son that gives John the commission and it is the Holy Ghost in the close that is mentioned as joint speaker second because in that epistle written to Thyatira there are three distinctly named first the Father and the Son in these words these things saith the Son of God next there is named in the last verse of that second chapter the Spirit he that hath an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches third because in the beginning of that epistle to the church of Sardis there are three put together. These things saith he, vis-a-vis the Son, that hath the seven spirits of God. Here God, that is the Father, is distinctly considered as another person. The seven spirits are the Holy Ghost. Fourth, because these three persons are most fully and clearly distinguished in the fifth chapter. First, the Father sitting on the throne. Secondly, the Lamb or the Son of God and thirdly, the seven spirits, or the Holy Ghost, so called from the pouring out of his gifts upon the churches, in the, that abundant manner, as if he were seven spirits, or sevenfold spirit. It is evident also that the Father, Son, and Spirit are really distinct from one another, and are three persons. They are indeed in respect of their essence, which is indivisibly communicable to them, one and the same God, but considered personally, they differ really. For the Father is not the Son, neither is he that sits upon the throne of the Lamb. Excuse me. Neither is he that sits upon the throne the Lamb. Neither the Father nor the Spirit were incarnate, but the Son, who died and was buried, which cannot be said of none but of a person. It cannot be said that the Father died or that the Spirit died. Next, is not the Holy Ghost the Spirit of God, as the Son is the Son of God? And if that suppose a real distinct personality, this must do it also. Now if the Father be God, and the Son be God, and the Spirit be God, who have one and the same divine nature and essence indivisibly communicated to them? And so, if there be but one God, and yet these three really distinct, then they must be distinct persons in respect of their personal properties, seeing they are persons and distinct. 
the Son, as was said, is called the express image of the Father's person, which evidently shows that the Father, considered as distinct from the Son, is a person and subsists. If then thus it be, must not the Son, as distinct from the Father, and so lively and expressly representing his person, be a person also, having this from the Father? The same must be true likewise of the Holy Ghost, who is God equal with both, yet different from both. For he who proceedeth from the Father and from the Son must differ from the Father and from the Son, as he who is begotten must be distinct from whom, from him that begat him. Some Quakers, either ignorantly or perversely, will have the word hypostasis, hypostasis translated substance as it is Hebrews 11.1 1. and thus they read Hebrews 1.3 the character or image of God's substance which is to be understood of Christ say they not simply as God but as a man but they might well but they might as well have said it signifies confident or confidence because it is so translated 2 Corinthians 9.4 and 2 Corinthians 11.17 but they speak here consequen consequentially to their own tenets who in effect deny the Trinity and all distinction between the Father, Son and Holy Ghost not only in words but in very deed the Apostle in this place is proving Christ the Son of God to be the Lord and Heir of all things because God created the worlds by Him he is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholdeth all things by the word of his power. These titles are here given to the Son of God as a creator and a preserver of all things, which belong to him only according to his divine nature. Therefore, these titles must be understood of Christ, for as much as he is the eternal Son of God and a light from the eternal light, of one essence and glory with the Father, nevertheless distinguished from the person of the Father, by whom the Father executes his operations and shows his properties, even as the Son by its light that shine. Question 5. Is the Son of God of the same substance, power, and eternity with the Father? Yes. 1 John 5.20, Romans 9.5, and Isaiah 9.6. Well then, do not the Arians err, who maintain the Son to be a creature brought forth before the foundations of the world? Yes. Do not likewise the Sassinians err, who maintain the Son to have had no existence before he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, from the scriptures above cited. Second, because the Son is omnipotent, the creator and preserver of all things. Revelation 1, 18, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Third, because he is omniscient and the searcher of the heart. Matthew 9, 3 and 4, and John 2, 25 and 21, verse 17. This ends side one. Please turn the tape over and continue listening on side two. Thank you. Question number six. Is the Holy Ghost God? Yes. Acts 5, 3, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, 
1 Corinthians 3:16 and 17. Well then, do not the Macedonians or the Numa Tomakians, that's P E U E U M A T O M A C H I A N S, Numa Tomakians, Arians and Sicinians and many of the Anabaptists err who maintain the Holy Ghost to be a creature, as do the Macedonians or a power virtue or efficacy of the Father as many Sicinians and others do? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the Holy Ghost is to be worshipped as God. Matthew 28 verse 19. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 14. Revelation 1 4. Second, because he is omniscient and knoweth all things. 1 Corinthians 2 10 and 11. Third, because he is omnipotent, the maker and preserver of all things, the worker of miracles, and it is he that sanctifies and justifies the believers. Genesis 1-2, Psalm 33, verse 6, Matthew 12-28. Compare Isaiah 6-9 with Acts 28, verses 25, 26, and 27. Fourth, because Ananias is said to have lied to the Holy Ghost, Acts 5, 3, and verse 4. He is said not to lie to men, but to God. Fifth, because believers are said to be the temple of God, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, and 17. And they are said, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, the Holy Ghost is God, seeing to be the temple of God, second and the temple of the Holy Ghost are the same. Six, because none can be properly sinned against but the true God, therefore the Holy Ghost is God, because many have been said to have sinned against the Holy Ghost. Matthew 12:31. Question 8. Doth not the Holy Ghost eternally proceed from the Father and the Son? Yes. John 15:26, Galatians 4, verse 6. Well then, doth not the Greek church err who maintain the Holy Ghost to proceed only from the Father? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because he is sent by the Son, John 15:16 and Acts 2:33. Second, because all things which are the Son's are the Father's except the personal properties by which they are distinguished and all things are communicated from the Father to the Son, and consequently the Holy Ghost. John 16, 13, 14, 15. Matthew 11, verse 27. John 17, verse 16. Third, because Christ gave to his apostles the Spirit by breathing it upon them, John 20, verse 22, to show that he proceeded from himself. Fourth, because he is the Spirit of the Son, no less than the Spirit of the Father. Galatians 4, verse 6. Fifth, because if the Holy Ghost did not proceed from the Son as truly as from the Father, he would not be a person really distinct from the Son, which is contrary to John 14, verses 16 and 17. Sixth, because it is said, John 16:14, He shall glorify me, namely by his testimony, gifts, and miracles, for he shall receive of mine, that is, the doctrine of salvation which I have taught you. He shall also reveal it unto you, seeing that he shall receive the same from me, and shall show it unto you. 
in Romans 8 verse 9, He is called the Spirit both of the Father and of the Son. It is said, If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, that is, the same Spirit, which in the foregoing verse is called the Spirit of God, namely the Father, and is here also called the Spirit of Christ, because he also proceeds from Christ, and is procured for us by Christ. John 14.26 and John 16.7 Chapter 3 of God's Eternal Decrees Question 1 Did God from all eternity, by the most holy and wise counsel of His will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass? Yes. Ephesians 1.11 Romans 11.33 Hebrews 6:17, Romans 9:15 and 18. Well then, do not the Socinians, Arminians, and Jesuits err who maintain the things which come to pass in time to fall out and come to pass without the decree of God? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, from the knowledge of God, whereby from all eternity he hath known all things infallibly, which come to pass, or shall be in time. Acts 15, verse 18, John 21, 17, Act, or Hebrews 4, 13. But all things which come to pass in time could not have been infallibly known from eternity, but in the decree of His divine will. Second, from God's natural way of working in time, 1 Corinthians 12, 6, Romans 11, 36, Whence it is evident that God worketh effectually and immediately in time all things which are done, but he worketh by his will those things which he will have to be in time, after that manner and in that time, how and when they come to pass. Psalm 115, verse 2. But that act of willing cannot happen to God in time, but hath been in him from all eternity, because God is unchangeable. James 1, verse 17. Third, by enumerating several instances concerning which the Scriptures affirm particularly that they have been decreed by God as the sufferings and death of Christ. Acts 2, 23. The glory of those that are to be saved. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9 and the foreordaining the rest to damnation to be punished for their sin. Jude verses 4 and 5 The like may be said of other things which come to pass in time. See Psalm 33 verse 11 and Psalm 115 verse 3. See Isaiah 46 verse 10 and Proverbs 19:21. That the liberty and freedom of the will and contingency of events is consistent with the decrees excuse me, decree singular is clear from Acts 2.23 and 3 Acts 3 verse 17 and 18 and Acts 4.27-28 Genesis 45 verse 5 Question 2 Is the decree of predestination namely the decree of election and reprobation absolute from the mere good will and pleasure of God? Yes. And is it particular concerning a certain number of persons? Yes. 2 Timothy 2.19, John 13, verse 18. Well then, 
Do not the Lutherans and Arminians err who maintain the decree of predestination to be general and conditional, depending upon persevering, persevering faith, which they affirm depend upon the will of man and foreseen infidelity and want of faith? Yes. Do not like... Do not likewise the Papists and Sicinians err, who maintain the decree of predestination to be general, and to depend upon good and evil works, with perseverance in them? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, from the Apostle Paul, who maketh the good will and pleasure of God the only cause why this man is chosen, and another as worthy, rejected, and casten off. Romans 9, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, where he moves an objection against the justice of God and answers it. Second, because our blessed Savior assigns it to the goodwill and pleasure of God, that to some the mysteries of faith for their con- conversion are revealed and that they are hid from many others, who are nothing worse but in some respects better. Matthew 11:25 and 26. Third, because a man of himself hath no good thing in him, whereby he may be different from another, but what he hath freely gotten from God. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Fourth, because the grace of regeneration, justifying faith, effectual calling, and perseverance to the end are given to all the elect, and to them only, according to the eternal decree of God, and therefore are effects not causes or pre-required conditions of election. Romans 8:39, Acts 13:48, Matthew 24 verse 2, excuse me, Matthew 24, 2 Timothy 1:9, John 15 verse 16, Ephesians 1 verses 3, 4 and 5, Matthew 8 verse 11 and Romans 11 verses 6 and 7. Question 3. Hath it pleased God according to the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extendeth or withholdeth mercy, as he pleaseth, for the glory of his sovereign power over his creatures, to pass by and to ordain the rest of mankind to dishonor and wrath for their sin, to the praise of his glorious justice? Yes. Romans 9, verses 17, 18, 21, and 22. Jude verses 4 and 5, Matthew 11 verses 25 and 26, 2 Timothy 2 verses 19 and 20. Well then, do not many of the Quakers and others err who maintain that God never ordained any man to perish eternally? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because Christ thanked his Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because he had hid those things from the wise and prudent and had revealed them unto babes. Matthew 11, verses 25 and 26. Second, because the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he, have, therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What, if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured 
with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Romans 9, verses 17 and 18, 21 and 22. Third, because in a great house there are some vessels to honor, some to dishonor. 2 Timothy 2, verses 19 and 20. Fourth, because the Apostle Jude says there are some who of old were ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. Note that the cause of this reprobation is not man's sin, but the absolute will and good pleasure of God. Man's sin, indeed, is the cause why God will punish, but no occasion why he did, not, why he did ordain to pass by or to punish man. This decree is just because God hath power over man as the potter hath power over the clay. Neither is the end of this decree the condemnation of the creature, but the manifestation of God's justice. Lastly, sin is the effect of man's free will, and condemnation is the effect of justice, but the decree of God is the cause of neither. Question 4. Are any other redeemed by Christ, effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved, but the elect only? No. John 17, verse 9, Romans 8, verse 28, John 6, verses 64 and 65, John 10, 26, John 8, 47, and 1 John 2, 19. Well then, do not the Papists, Quakers, Sicinians, and Armenians err, who maintain that all men, even reprobates, are redeemed by Christ, and that many reprobates are effectually called, justified, and adopted? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, from the golden chain which cannot be loosened, mentioned by the Apostle Paul, Romans 8, verse 30, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Second, because those and those only believe whom God hath ordained to life eternal. Acts 13, verse 48, Titus 1, 1. Third, because Christ himself says to the Jews, But ye believe not, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. John 10, verses 26, 27, and 28. You are not my sheep, that is, of the elect, which the Father hath given me. Fourth, because Christ would not pray for the world, but for the elect only. John 17, verse 9. Fifth, because the election or elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded, namely, who are not elected and effectually called. Romans 11, verse 7. Sixth, because Christ says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. Such a love he never had to reprobates, whom he professes he never knew. John 15, verse 13, with Matthew 7, verse 23. 7. Because according to the scripture, Christ died only for his own sheep, vis-a-vis intentionally and efficaciously. John 10, verse 15. 8. Because the scripture often says that Christ died for many. Matthew 26, verse 28. Matthew 20, verse 28. 9. Because there are many who lived under the gospel, as well as those who lived under the law, who have not been so much as outwardly called, being nothing worse than others who are called. 10. 
because to all and every one the grace of regeneration, which is simply necessary to salvation, is not offered. Neither do all and every one get remission and pardon of their sins. Ephesians 1 verse 7, Colossians 1 14, Deuteronomy 29 verse 3, Matthew 11 verse 25 and 28 with Matthew 11 verse 13. 11th, because the grace of regeneration is invincible and of its own nature always efficacious and powerful. Ezekiel 11 verses 19 and 20, Ephesians 2, 1 and 5, Ephesians 1 verse 19. Twelfth, because the grace of regeneration can never be lost or fall totally or finally. 1 Peter 1 verse 5, 1 John 3 verse 9. Whosoever are called and justified are also glorified. Romans 9 verse 30. Chapter 4 of creation. Question 1. Did God create or make of nothing the world and all things therein? Yes. Genesis first chapter to the end. Hebrews 11 verse 3. Colossians 1 verse 16. Acts 17 verse 24. Well then, do not the Sassanians and other heretics with many of the old pagan philosophers err? who maintain the world to have been made of some pre-existent matter not capable of production and consequently that creation or making something out of nothing is simply impossible? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, from the testimony of Moses, Genesis first chapter. Second, from the testimony of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 verse 28 and Isaiah 45 verse 18. Third, from the testimony of the author to the Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verse 3, Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, Romans 11, 36. Fourth, because the scripture attributed to God only eternity and incorruptibility, Psalm 102, verses 26 and 27, Genesis 21, 33, and 1 Timothy 1, 17. It is reported of Sassinius by a very learned man who had it from one of his disciples that he privately denied the world to be made of nothing, lest thereby he should be necessitated to acknowledge the infinitedness of God's power, which tenet afterwards was more publicly avowed and maintained by some of his followers. Question 2. Did God create all things, whether visible or invisible? Yes, Colossians 1.16 and Acts 17.24 Well then, do not some heretics err who maintain that the angels were not created by God? Yes, by what reasons are they confuted? First, from the psalmist David, Psalm 33, verse 6 and Psalm 148, verses 2, 5, and 6 Colossians 1, verse 16 Romans 2, verse 36, Nehemiah 9, verse 6. Second, because they are the servants and sons of God, brethren and fellow servants with us, willing and ready to obey the commands of God, their Maker. Revelation 19, verse 10, Revelation 22, verse 9, Psalm 104, verse 4. Third, because many of the angels left their first habitation and did not continue in the truth, 
and so made defection from the obedience of their Creator, and are reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Jude, verse 6, 2 Peter 2, verse 4, Matthew 25, verse 41, John 8, 48. Question 3. Did God make man male and female with reasonable and immortal souls? Yes. Genesis 1, 27. Genesis 2, verse 7. Ecclesiastes 2, verse, excuse me, 12, verse 7. Luke 23, verse 43. And Matthew 10, 28. Well then, do not the Sadducees and the Epicureans err, who maintain the souls of all men to, be, to perish and die forever? Yes. Do not likewise very many of the Sicinians and others err who affirm the souls of men to be extinguished or put out till the resurrection and then to be brought to life again? Yes. Do not likewise the Anabaptists and many of the Armenians and some called Arabians err who maintain the souls of men after death till the resurrection to fall asleep? That is, to be without any sense or motion, thought or vital operation whether it be in their body or in some caverns of the earth? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, from our blessed Lord and Savior's words, Fear not them, says he, which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Matthew 10, verse 20. Second, from the testimony of Solomon, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Third, because Paul desired to be dissolved, trusting that his soul after death should have no have more near communion with Christ, Philippians 1.23. Fourth, they must be confuted from several and particular instances in the scripture, as is clear from the souls of Dives and Lazarus, Luke 16, verse 22. From the, these words of Christ to the thief, Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt be with me this day in paradise. Luke 23, verse 43. From the appearing of Moses and Elias upon the mount with Christ. Matthew 17, verse 3. Question 4. Did God create man, male and female, with righteousness and true holiness after his own image, as being co-natural to him? Yes. Genesis 1, Colossians 4.10 and Ephesians 4.24 Well then, do not the Sicinians err who deny this and the Armenians who call this righteousness supernatural? Yes. By what reason are they confuted? First, from these words spoken by God himself, let us make man in our own image. Genesis 1.26 and 27 Second, from God's own testimony affirming the same thing. Genesis 9.6 Third, because before the fall both Adam and Eve walked naked, naked and were not ashamed. Genesis 2.25 This ends tape 2 of Truth, Victory Over Error by David Dixon. Please go to the next tape in the series and continue listening. Thank you. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources as well as SWRB's complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com 
by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. This book, Truth, Victory Over Error by David Dixon, is also available from Stillwater's Revival Books in softcover format at a discount in our A to Z author listings. And please, don't forget to look over the 62 CDs that make up our Reformation and Puritan bookshelf CD sets if you visit our website at swrb.com, as these CDs are a great way to build a major reform library at a fraction of the cost of the printed books.